Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 7th, 2022. It is currently 2.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where I I don't know if you feel it. I, I don't know. I don't know if you're having these feelings yet, but I'm starting to have these feelings. I'm starting to have anxiety. I'm starting to have a, a little bit of a panic attack. And I, and I shouldn't, but it's December the 7th. December the 7th. Does anyone know what that means? Obviously, it has a significant meaning in history. All right, we won't go into all of that. Obviously, a very significant day in history, but it has another significance to me, not looking back, but looking forward. Because when I'm sitting here on December the 7th and I look forward, I know that this year is rapidly coming to a conclusion. This year is coming to a dramatic end. Now, on one it depends on how you look at this. On 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 in one way, what does it matter, right? It's just days. They're just numbers, right? They're just numbers. December 7th, 2022, 2023, 2024. Nothing really changes, right? You get to the end of that calendar year, right? You go from December to January. You go from 2022 to 2023. It literally means nothing. It is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It has no significance whatsoever other than the significance we we try to give it, right? We're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. It's the end of the year. So now we need to look back. Now we need to look forward. But in reality, what does it mean? Right? It's just <laughs> it's just some construct that we placed on on time, some way for us to measure it or give it significance. So on one hand, I want to be like all rebellious, rebellious and say, it means absolutely nothing. I don't even, I don't even care. I don't even recognize that it's a new year. On one hand, there's a part of me that wants to be rebellious, but there's another part of me that no matter how much I don't want it to mean something, I always get so bothered, right? Because as I approach the end of the year, I look back at all the things I didn't get done, things I didn't complete, things I didn't finish, and I feel upset about this or upset about that. But then there's another part of me that says, no, I completed exactly what I needed to. I have, I basically, I have all of these internal conflicts within myself. I get very, 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 very bothered and very frustrated on many different levels. And then I start looking forward to the new year, but then I'm always very, I'm always very cautious, not patient, cautious would be the word. Because I'm like, look, I can make this plan and this plan and this plan and this plan and this plan, but I have no idea what's going to happen. I can, I can make, I can make all of these plans. And by January the 3rd, I've been diagnosed with cancer, hit by a car. My house is burned to the ground and I've been bitten by a rattlesnake. I mean, who knows like what's going to happen even three days into a new year. So I, I'm, I'm somewhat cautious about that. It's just a weird time for me. I have all of these crazy thoughts and struggles. And clearly, there is one specific area that you (laughs) may be interested in, and that's this podcast. I started approaching the end of the year, and you know the one thing I realized? Man, I started some series. Did I finish all of the series? I started some series. I'm still in the middle of some of those series. Did I, in a sense, lose the plot? Did I, did I, did I take a wrong turn? 
wait, wait, I wonder, am I really accomplishing anything? Do people even really care? I, I mean, I do. Are they really participating? Uh, like you start asking all of your, you know, asking all of these questions. So I start looking and I'm like, man, that, there's that series and there's that series. I need to, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. Uh, the Frankfurt Declaration. I mean, we, I, I started that and we, we, we were so far behind. Now, to be fair, the long gospel thing kind of jumped to the front of the line because I was going to work through the Frankfurt Declaration with my church. So the the long gospel, I you know, and what's it? What, again, one of those things. Oh, what a great idea! And then all of a sudden, you get in, you realize how overwhelming it is. But I, I, I'm I'm clearly dedicated to that. Then the Bible study exercise, I'm clearly dedicated to that. So I can see some things that I'm trying to do. Then I'm like, okay, I think I'm doing pretty good there. Then like something I try new, like the today's focus. I just have all of these conflicts, but in the midst of just trying to look at all of that, I know I have what five, I think it's five morning Psalms. That's a series that I'm way, way, way behind. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have that very, very interesting series that I completely, completely forgot about the presence of God. I mean, I've got some cool looking artwork that someone made for me. I've, I mean, we, that was a very interesting series. It's had all of its twists and turns and somehow it twisted and it turned and I, I, I forgot about it. I, I, and I, and I, and I, and it makes me mad that I forgot about it, but I did. So we're going to return back <laughs> to the twists and turns and try to bring this to some kind of satisfying conclusion. It's not, I guess there is not going to be a satisfying conclusion because the whole subject drives me absolutely crazy. In fact, a lot of this is, um, this happens a lot of time on my podcast. So many different things I'm working on, they start, they start connecting. They start like, they're, they're kind of weaved together. Some people catch on, some people never mention it, but I love when it happens but in this particular case, I'm not too pleased with it because I'm kind of frustrated. Let me try to explain. Let me try to explain. All right. And I know, I don't know if I'll be able to finish all of this by the end of the year. I know this, by the end of the year, I'm not going to have any good answers. And I doubt I'm going to have any good answers anywhere in the rest of my life. I, I could say in 2023, we'll fix this, but I don't know if we'll ever be able to fix this. Let me explain. Here's, here's what we've got going on. We have been talking uh, okay. All right. Good. Someone said that they're glad I, I came back to this. I'm liking this series. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. I apologize for the, I don't know what happened. All right. But here's what's, here's what's happening to me. And I can't, and I, and I feel like I'm drowning. Here's what's happening. We started talking on Sunday in our study on long gospel about the heart that is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Does that heart get magically removed and and replaced or transformed completely in salvation, or do we still maintain it? And then we, we started talking about that. And then we started talking, if you think about it, we started talking about, okay, the heart, the new nature, and the sinful nature. Now, how does the heart relate to the nature? And is the nature the same as the heart, or is the nature different than the heart? Because this raises some serious questions, right? If you say we got a new heart, but we maintain the old nature, well, then is the heart the new nature? Or do we have now a heart, a new nature? Do, are there three parts of us, uh, a new heart or an old heart, a new nature and an old nature? Or is heart and nature synonymous? And if they're synonymous, well, then 
if we still have the old heart, then we still have the old nature, then do we have a new nature? Because to have a new nature would mean a new heart. So do we have a new heart and the old heart? <laughs> like, how does this work? And that that is, uh, I, I don't even, we, we need like a diagram of, of, the, of, of a human being. And like, here's, here's the internal makeup of a human being. There's the mind, there's the heart. Is the heart and mind separate or is that just synonymous? Then we have the heart. Okay, do we have a new heart or do we have the old heart? And once we figure out, do we have a new or do we have an old? Okay, now, how many natures do we have? Do we have one nature or do we have two natures? And how does the natures relate to the heart? How do they relate to the mind? How do we understand any of this? It is, to me, confounding, confusing. And the more you listen to preaching related to some of these subjects, the more confused that it gets because they never seem to stop to really articulate exactly how all of this works. They'll say, you have a new nature. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. Wait, so did the old mind go? Did the old heart go? but, But I still have the old nature, have an old nature, but a new mind, have an old nature, but a new heart. Like, how does this work? Look, that is not me just trying to be difficult and ask you know, questions to troll people. Those are real legitimate questions. But while we're trying to figure that out, there's another thing we're trying to figure out. This phrase, the presence of God, the presence of Christ. What does that mean? Christians have been using that phrase for so very long. Oh, you do you feel his presence? His presence is here. Walk in his presence. Live in his presence. Fill his presence. Ask for his presence. Seek his presence. Dwell in his presence. Live in his presence. And I'm like, okay, so what, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do you know he's present? Does it, is it a feeling? And how come the feeling is always attached to singing, you know, the same praise chorus 75 times with the lights dimmed down and we sing it a cappella at least six times? Like, why, why does the presence of God connected to that? Like, what, what does it mean? How come it's always a feeling, a feeling, a feeling, a feeling, a feeling, a feeling, a feeling? But that feeling seems to be able to be accomplished through human means of manipulation. Well, then I'm not so sure what that means the presence of God. So in a roundabout way, we started trying to figure this out and it's been we it's been a crazy ride. It's been a crazy ride, all right? We started with a sermon or two podcast episodes from the late Adrian Rogers. And he used Exodus 33:34 in the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just bizarre, crazy, Moses had the presence of God, then he lost the presence of God, then supposedly he got the presence of God, but but he never really demonstrated where Moses lost it, why he was hiding it, and how he got it back, because he went to verses before Moses even got it to tell us how we get it. it. It was really, really bizarre. So we reviewed all of that. And in the midst of reviewing that, while I'm here in the studio, I get a notification of a new article that was posted at the Christian Post entitled, Five Things That Hinder the Presence of Christ. We started reviewing the article. I thought it was going to be really quick. Here's the five things they say. Here's a couple of thoughts. Let's move on. We didn't even make it through the introduction. Because as soon as I read the introduction, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's from a book. That's from a book. And then that book took us to Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray, which we did review a little bit of the book. 
And it's, I mean, I still need to read the rest of the book. I don't know if I can stomach the rest of the book. It is just crazy. I really thought they would go to the famous book, Practicing the Presence of God uh, by uh, Brother Lawrence, I think is the name of the book. I have it on my Kindle. Um, and I thought, I thought that's where they would go. But they went to Andrew Murray, Absolute Surrender. And you can already tell, basically, if you want the presence of Christ, you have to absolutely surrender, <laughs> which now we're up to another phrase, right? So wait, how, do, we have a, do we have a new heart, old nature, new nature, old nature? How does that work? Wait, what does it mean that the presence of Christ and then absolute surrender? Well, what does that mean? Like, it just seems like every turn, there's a new thing like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And I can't be the only person in church history going, what does that mean? That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one asking the questions because I listen to other sermons on these similar subjects and they just like, hey, here's the, it's simple, it's easy. I don't know what the problem is. And I'm like, I, I, you didn't answer anything, okay? There's no problem if you ignore it. Isn't that amazing? There's, every Bible passage is easy if you don't actually look, right? If, if you just ignore the problems, it's always simple. So, We've got to get back to this article. So I'm going to read the introduction quickly, and then we're going to look at the first reason, the first thing that hinders the presence of Christ in your life and in my life. And if this is true, then I guess none of us have ever been in the presence of Christ. I I don't know exactly how we understand this. All right, here we go. Here's the introduction. Most believers understand that God is everywhere, but the Bible is also clear that the power and presence of Christ can fill the heart of the believer who completely surrenders to him. Ding, 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 ding. Andrew Murray, absolute surrender, right? His presence changes everything. So it's no secret why the enemy of our souls want to hinder his presence and power in our life. Here are five things that will hinder the presence of Christ in your life and what you can do to get back on track. All right, here's the things that will hinder the presence of Christ. So the presence of Christ, the, he's, he's present everywhere. He's omnipresent, but he's also present in a special way. But, 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 but we can do something. Someone can do something that will hinder it. That I, I don't know, we'll make it leave. I, I guess like if we go with the uh, Adrian Rogers sermons, like you can lose it. So you're like, you can get this special presence and you're like, oh, I've got it. And then boom, it leaves. However, the Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell you all the way to redemption. So I don't know how this works. He's omnipresent, but he can be specially present. But then he's always present in the Holy Spirit. So he's present, but that's not really present because it's absolute surrender will give you the full presence. So it's like he's omnipresent. Then he's present in the Holy Spirit, but to be fully present. To like to really push the turbocharge to fully present, you've got to do things or you have to avoid doing things. So, it, so once again, we're right back to this weird, like I, when you dig into Christian vocabulary and Christian cliches, they, they all seem to fall apart. They make no sense. So just try to wrap your mind around this. He's omnipresent, but then he can be specially present in a certain way. However, your actions can drive him off. However, for the Christian, he indwells you in the Holy Spirit, which that will never leave you. So he can be present in you, but not really present in a special way. To get his special presence, you've got to do certain things. 
Are, are you tracking any of this? I'm not tracking any of this at all. I'm not, I'm not tracking any of this. But let, let's see what they say. What do, you, what do you think the number one, the number one thing that will hinder the presence of Christ in your life? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Drum roll, please. Secret sin. Dun, 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 dun. If you have secret sin in your life, you hinder his presence. Now, I, what do we mean by secret sin? In other words, any sin I don't tell someone else about, is that a secret? Or is it a secret sin, any sin I don't confess to God? But if I confess all of my sins, then are they secret? Like, what, what, like what does it mean to be secret? Let's see what they, how they describe it. This is what they say. Hidden sin affects and quenches our relationship with our Savior. When there's no communion with God, our lives are spent in darkness. We see nothing. We hear nothing. We have no answers. Spiritual death sets in. Now, are you saying you can lose your salvation? Most of us can relate to spiritual death, but be encouraged. Repentance opens the door for his presence to be restored. Begin by acknowledging and turning from the sin that is pulling you down, and you'll find rest for your soul. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Although the context of this verse is about those laying their sin at the foot of the cross and being born again for the first time, believers can also experience times of renewal when repentance is genuine. All right. That don't explain anything. Supposedly, my secret sin can drive out the presence of Christ. Like he's there and he's like, nope, got to go. Got to go. It's, I got to move. Got to get, got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. There is secret sin here. I've got to leave. Now, does he take the Holy Spirit from, from you or does the Holy Spirit still remain? So is that the Holy Spirit still in you, but his presence is not like, how do I, once again, I need a chart. It doesn't, and, and and he doesn't go to a verse that says anything about secret sin will drive out. There's not even a verse here that he, they don't even mention a verse. Now, does sin hurt us? Yes. Does sin detrimental to us? Yes. But I want you to realize there's always, see, this is what is so weird about Christianity. On one hand, we always talk about sin as if there's only like, there, like you can, like, you can be, you live your life without sin, and then all of a sudden certain sins show up, and then you feel devastated and broken, and you got to get rid of that sin. It, it, it all, it never, Christians so many times never describes Christianity in light of the reality we all experience. I, I don't, I don't know how many different series I have to say this in, because we seem to come to this question or this issue every single time. I don't know how, I don't know if I can, I don't know how blunt I can be to get the point across. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know if I have to scream, if I have to turn on the microphone and just start breaking things, if I have to have a bonfire and set something on fire. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know what I need to do, but, but Christians are so confused. Let me explain this. There is sin in your life 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, there is sin in your life continually. But it's always like, oh, no, 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 no. No, that's sin. Boom, 
you lose the presence of Christ. If you do this, boom. And it's like, well, what about that sin and that sin and that? It's always that one. It's always weird. Like there's so many sins that we commit. We don't even feel b- bad about it. And then we commit one and then we're like, and we're devastated and we're destroyed and we don't know what. Well, what about all the, the 50,000 others? I, again, uh, you know what I'm going to do. You know, you know what I'm going to say. I'll just give you three. You're told to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You fall short of that all the time. Love your neighbor as yourself. You fall short of that all the time. Be ye holy as he is holy. You fall short of that all the time. Oh, but well, that's not a secret sin. That's not a secret. Okay, well, then what is it? Oh, secret sin is when you're doing what? 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 What exactly? Come on, tell me, tell me, tell me what it is. What? What is it? What is it? It usually always relates to something sexual, uh, literally. Typically, secret sin will be like pornography or something. Uh, but but what? What is it? What is it? You see, it's it's we have a list. It's the it's the mortal secret sins. But all these other sins, I guess they don't drive out the presence of Christ. So we can be in sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, and the presence of Christ stays with us. Oh, but if we commit certain sins, now they become secret sins, and now Christ has to go. The presence of God has to flee. Like, Christianity is so weird in this way. Uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to look here. I'm just going to look here. Uh, now, okay, even I, I just think this is interesting, okay? And, and, and people may take this different ways, and this may lead to a, a massive arguments on interpretation. But we all know Psalm 51, right? We know David has committed every sin you can think of, right? He's done cover-up. He's committed adultery, murder. I mean, he just, he went on a sin spree, right? He was like, you know, he, w- he walked out on that roof one night and was like, okay, hey, someone bring me the Ten Commandments. All right, guys, I'll, I'll give you $50 that I can break all of them before the night is over. Okay, obviously it did not happen that way, but that's what it feels like. It feels like he was just like, I'm going to break every commandment I can. And even after breaking all of those sins, after all of the things he did, I want you to know that in his confession, look what he says. Cast me not away from thy presence. He doesn't say that he's, he's been cast out. He doesn't say he's lost the presence. He says, cast me not. He's begging, don't let it happen. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So David could do all of that and still have the presence of God? I mean, look, Psalm 51, verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So at that, at that time, even after all of the sin, this is now, this is all the way after the cover-up. This is after, now he's been confronted. Now he confesses and his confess, confession, he doesn't say, give me back your presence. No, he says, don't take it from me. He doesn't say, give me your spirit. But no, he says, don't take, don't remove it from me. He, he, he is seemingly to acknowledge that both of those things are still present. Now, how does that work in your theology when you're telling everyone who reads the Christian Post, and there's a lot of people who read that on a daily basis, hey, hey, you got secret sin? Boom. You've lost the presence of God. Well, wait, did I lose the Holy Spirit? Well, did I lose my salvation? Some, some theologies would say you did. 
Okay, well, then you're always going to, then you're never going to be saved because you're always going to have secret sin. But they're reducing secret sin to something scandalous, something big, something hidden that gets everyone, you know, posting on social media. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, oh, he's a piece of garbage. Oh, he should never preach, teach, breathe. He should just go, he should take a, I don't know. He should just, he should end his life, throw himself off a tall building because he's got, because, you know, loving Christians, that's the way they are. Because we don't seem to, we don't ever seem to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. He committed that sin, but I've committed 50 today. I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Certain sins is the, is the end of everything, but other sins are, are no big deal. I, I, and nobody has given me the playbook. Nobody has given me the list of the evangelical list of mortal and venial. At least Catholics in the catechism tries to give you a formula for you to fit. Oh, wait, wait, that means, okay, that's a mortal sin. Wait, that's a venial. At least they try to qualify it, quantify it in some way, shape, We don't. It's just, uh, it's just arbitrary. Oh, oh, wait, a pastor did what? Well, he's done. He can never be a pastor again. Wait, what? Wait, what? When did that just happen? Wait, he did what? Oh, piece of, probably not even saved. Wait, wait what? When? When did that, and it's just weird. People say it like so dogmatically, like they're the Pope sitting on the throne in Rome offering a dogma, dun, dun, saved, can't preach, can't do this, can't, I get to decide. Well, they have plenty of sins in their own lives. We're, we're a lot like, and I know, I know a lot of people don't believe the story belongs in the Bible. I understand all the textual issues, but we're a lot like the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery. We don't even care about the sinner. We don't even care. I mean, when they bring the, the sinner, the woman caught in adultery before Jesus, they don't even care about her. They're just using her. They're just there to win a theological arg- argument. And sometimes we just treat other Christians and their sin just like so we can win some kind of argument. They're human beings, but we, we just want to stone them. We just want to see them stoned. And it's like, well, what about forgiveness? What about restoration? There can't be any restoration. Can't be. Can't be. David didn't get to build the temple. There can't be. I know because his son who built the temple was so much better than David. I mean, give me, I mean, woohoo. Aren't we glad Solomon was the one building that temple? Because he never knew anything about adultery, never knew anything about polygamy, and never knew anything. Uh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I've heard that argument. If a pastor does certain things, they're 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 forever removed from the pulpit because uh, David didn't get to build the temple. I'm like, oh, he didn't get to build the temple. He just got to write scripture. But okay, okay, okay. All right, you're, you're right. You're right. He didn't get to build the temple. He only got to write inspired scripture. Whoa, I mean, I know. God really, really removed him from ministry. Oh, wait a minute. He actually put him right there in ministry, right? Because he was writing scripture, even after he committed all of those horrible, horrible sins. Okay, I digress. But the point is, is I don't know how you process that, hey, guys, you, you, you have the presence of God, but you lose the present when you commit some secret sin. Secret. They don't define what secret means. So here's the question. When is a sin secret? If I confess it to God, is it a secret sin? How many people do I have to confess it to? Do I have to tell two? Do I have to tell three? Do I have to tell four? Do I have to tell five? Do I need to go find a, a basically the pro- Protestant evangelical equivalent of a confessional booth? 
So what makes it secret? And if secret sin, I want you to just think, just think this through logic. Christians say the weirdest things and never take it to his logical conclusion. Okay, if the secret sin gets rid of the presence of Christ, they haven't even explained, well, wait a minute. So Christ is everywhere at all times. So the omnipresence remains. He, his spirit's in me, but there's a different kind of presence on top of his Holy Spirit. They don't really explain any of this. But here's the question. Go to any church on any given time of service, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Look at all the people there. Are you telling me there's no secret sin in any of those lives? Everyone is sitting there with secret sins, secret thoughts, secret desires, secret failures. There's not one person... There's not one person, there's not one person anywhere where a Christian will be found that there's not a secret sin. So does everyone need to stand up and confess everything? I mean, that would be, that would all you would do in church. Everyone stand up and confess all of you. And people are like, no, you don't have to do that. Well, okay. Well, ever, everyone's always going to have some secret sin. There's always, so what do you mean? Secret sin, boom, you lose the presence of Christ. And how come David's secret sin, he still had his... He still had his presence. He still had the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't know what, I, this whole concept of the presence of God, I don't understand it. I've heard it mentioned so many times in my Christian life. And again, I, I, I don't want to connect this. Well, I do want to connect this series with all the other things we're struggling with. The whole... New heart, old heart, new nature, old nature. Okay, how does that, how, how many different things do we, new mind, old mind? Like, where does that all, how do we all fit all of that together, right? I, I think that, that's a very important, and it's just as confusing. And then here, when you get to the presence of God, what does it mean? Okay, well, there's an omnipresence, okay? There's a Holy Spirit indwelling presence, and then there's a special presence. We don't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can lose the special presence, how do we get the special presence? We have to do things to get it, and we can do things to lose it. So it's a coming, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, transient thing. It never stays there. It's never certain. But how do you know you have it? Well, because you feel it. Okay. Or, or well, now you have power, or now you can hear God speak to you, or now, now you get some, it, it's always some just subjective emotionalism. Here's what I know. God is omnipresent. Here's what I know. He indwells every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. I know that his word, in a sense, his presence is in his word because it's living and active and more powerful than a two-edged sword. So in a sense, it's, it's living. There, there's in a sense, we read about his presence. I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but but there's something to his word. There's a power to it. It's spiritual food. It's, it's living. There's something to it. Some kind of special presence? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how we articulate it, define it, quantify it, qualify it. I just know this. If secret sin is the thing that makes it leave, Then it's been gone, well, ever since the fall. Because there's been secret sin 
and everyone since the fall. Everyone. Everyone. Other than Christ. All right, I, I I don't know what else I can say. That well, we could go to number two, but we'll just we'll just look at number. That's just I don't even know what, what you do with that. Christians, is, I I, just, I don't know. I don't I don't know what else to say. I'm just I'm just sitting here baffled and confused and perplexed. And I uh, we we talked about on a today's focus episode that the that I'm constantly baffled and perplexed and confused by the strange and often contradictory world of Christian morality, and I'm constantly confused and perplexed by the strange, bewildering world of Christian cliches and Christian vocabulary, where we say things and you're like, have you ever thought that through at all? Like, what does that even mean? And when you say that, people kind of look at you like, what do you, what do you think, what do you think it means? We all, this is the, this is the language we use and your language makes no sense. All right. I'll stop there. According to the article from the Christian Post, number one, the thing that will supposedly hinder, get rid of, remove the presence of Christ, hinder it, I don't know what it means by hindering it, but hindering it is a secret sin. If you have no secret sins in your life, You may have no sinful nature. That's all I can say. And you're going to say, no, no, it's specific thing. Again, you're going to have to try to find a way to quantify that and divide it up. But there you have it. We'll we'll work on the rest of them. Um, Yeah, the rest of this week is going to be crazy. Um, So it may be Monday, but I will come in Monday, hopefully strong. And uh, hopefully we can end the year with just a flurry of broadcast and really trying to catch everything up and reach the end of the year. All right? Okay. Contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.